As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Yo, yo! Welcome to another episode of The Forum Club. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Lakers beat writer for The Athletic. On today's episode, we are doing another off-season Q&A. I posted on Twitter that I was going to be answering your questions. So let's get right into it. There's a lot to cover. Uh, first question from at by Marshawn. What position do the Lakers target with the taxpayer MLE? I've been saying this since the beginning of the offseason. They need the best available 3 and D wing, preferably in the six foot seven to six foot nine range. Uh, maybe you could accept someone 6'5 or 6'6 six, six if they're a bit stronger or a bit longer, uh, but really looking for someone that could slide into that starting uh, front court spot alongside LeBron and AD, uh, kind of what the Lakers had hoped Trevor Ariza would be last year. Uh, but that, you know, think that Kyle Kuzma, Markeith Morris, uh, basically a, a taller KCP, like that type of wing player that can shoot 35 plus percent on threes can defend twos and threes at a minimum uh, or, or at least at least two positions you know twos and threes or threes and fours ideally two through four and really if you get lucky you know two through five one through four something like that uh you know the the, the more defensive versatility the better now those guys are very difficult to find and already we just saw uh, one of the guys who I had as a top target for the Lakers Robert Covington re-sign with the Clippers and you know making 11 12 million dollars a year. So these guys often make double digit you know uh annual salaries if not more, you know depending on their role with their respective teams. So the Lakers with the taxpayer MLE that's going to be an annual salary starting at 6.3 million or just right about there. Uh so you know someone's either going to have to take a discount or the Lakers are just going to have to get lucky and, and that person wants to be in LA. They want to play with LeBron. They want to play in the Lakers. Uh, but I think the one thing that the Lakers can offer that other teams, at least in, in their range, uh, in, in sort of that playoff contender range, won't be able to necessarily offer is a considerable role. You know, I, I think some of these guys that the Lakers are going to be targeting would be bench players on playoff teams or contenders uh, or, or be playing you know, max 20, 24 minutes. Whereas on the Lakers, I think you could easily be playing 
28, 30, 32, 33 minutes, depending on your skill set, depending on how good of a shooter you are, how many positions you could defend. So I think with, with the Lakers financial limitations, they are going to have to give something up, be it, uh, you know, maybe a, a worse quality shooter or someone who doesn't have as much defensive versatility or, or someone who's maybe a little bit older, but you, they really are looking for that Trevor Ariza, Kyle Kuzma, uh, Kent Bazemore, you know, basically replacing Kuz, but, but really what they wanted from Trevor Ariza and Kent Bazemore last year, they need that type of player and they need to hit on that player. Uh, so, the next question is realistic MLE targets. Uh, this is from at Rodfran032018. I've already talked about this in uh, a mailbag I did a couple weeks ago, but I'll rehash some names here. Uh, Nicholas Batum, I think with Robert Covington staying with the Clippers, Nicholas Batum becomes someone that's maybe more gettable, only making $3.4 million th- this past season. So, uh, you know, that would be almost double what he was making. And, and yes, he's an older guy, but I do like Nicholas Batum as a a big wing who can defend multiple positions, uh, a, a bit of a reluctant shooter, but a really good shooter, a good secondary ball handler and playmaker, um, you know, I, I think can, can still do some things and, and would fit nicely with LeBron and AD. I think there's some risk there just because he's a little bit older, but I think, again, Lakers aren't really in a position to haggle. So I think if that's Nicholas Platoon is the best they can do, uh, I think they should go for it. Uh, Bruce Brown is another one. And he's someone who is on the smaller side, but hasn't proved as a shooter as function as, as, you know, basically a four or five offensively a lot, uh, you know, screener and roller uh, with, with Brooklyn. Uh, he might be more expensive than this, but with Brooklyn adding Ben Simmons, who knows how they're going to approach his free agency. I think there's a chance that the stink of the Nets potentially rubs off on Bruce Brown and he's gettable there, but he's someone that could definitely start. The only thing with him is the height, but he is a capable wing defender. So I would like him at, you know, in this range, Otto Porter Jr., who is currently, you know, on the Warriors and, you know, might win a championship with them. We'll see what ends up happening. But he's someone who's been coming off the bench there and this would be a larger role. And remember, Play, you know, part of the appeal of, of playing a larger role is your next contract. And if you can play 30, 32 minutes and, and put up good numbers, like you can get that payday w- with your next deal, uh, particularly if you can get a two-year deal w- with a player option on the second year. So that's something to, to kind of keep in mind here. Uh, I would love Otto Porter. I think he's a really solid defender, really smart player, has fit well in Golden State system. I, I think some of the things that they've done with him I'd like to see the Lakers do with him if he ends up there. Uh, Daniel House Jr., I think, is someone who's on the cheaper side. Might even be able to be had for a partial uh, amount of the taxpayer mid-level, but maybe up to the taxpayer mid-level. We'll see. He played really well for Utah, that kind of prototypical 3 and D guy, except he is about 6'4", 6'5", so he's on the smaller side. But again, I think you have to make some type of concession when dealing with these guys in this price range. Then the other one, Torian Prince uh, from Minnesota. Bench guy there. Uh, you know, really good shooter. Has got that six seven, six eight size, and uh, someone that you know, depending on the market, could be maybe a little bit higher than this, but I think will probably be around uh, this price range. So, those are some of the names. Uh, I think PJ Tucker is someone to look at if he becomes available. Although he has a player option, and he'd actually be taking less money to sign with the Lakers. I don't see that happening. Robert Covington is now off the board, 
And who knows? We'll, we'll see what other guys, you know, kind of how the market plays out. But there's not a lot of cap space this offseason, which you're going to see that trickle-down effect, I, I think, throughout the market where there are going to be some guys that end up being available uh, for cheaper than you would think. And I think if any of these five guys are available, uh, I would probably rank them Porter Jr. It's close. I might go Porter Jr. first, Batum second, Brown third, House fourth, Prince fifth. But like, I, I think House and Prince are close. Uh, Batum, Brown, Porter, you, you can kind of... I could go any way with those three. The one knock for me with Brown is just the, the, the size. And, you know, he, he is 6'3", 6'4". And I do think the Lakers, even though he plays bigger than his size, I think the Lakers just need size. I mean, we saw it last year with how many guards they had and how many three-guard lineups they played. Like, th- there just is something there for me with, with favoring Porter or Batum. Now, both guys are, are older. And, you know, I think... Batum has had some, some you know, both guys are, have had some major injuries throughout their career. So that's kind of the one thing there where, where maybe with Brown, there, there's youth and, and durability, but I mean, he's smaller than Stanley Johnson. So like he's better than Stanley Johnson, but, but he's also smaller. So I don't know. I, I, you're kind of splitting hairs there. I think you could make the case and, and I'm sure at least one of those three guys will end up staying in their current situation, but, uh, and then maybe one of them gets overpaid, but that would kind of be my my five guys I'm looking at right now based on who I think is realistic, who I think will be available. But uh, again, you never know what the market, you never know how things are going to play out. But to, to kind of go back to the first question, definitely a 3 and D wing. Uh, I think the second thing, if the Lakers can't get a 3 and D wing, like all these guys get priced out, they resign or they're out of their price range. I think the other thing would be an athletic big that you know, I guess kind of going back to the JaVale McGee, Andre Drummond mold, but maybe someone with even better mobility, look at like a Nick Claxton. I don't know if he, his market to me, you know, could be all over the place. Again, someone that I could see getting like 10 million, I could see getting like 5 million, like he could be all over the place. So Nick Claxton would be someone I'd look at for sure. I mean, he's a restricted free agent. So you got to think Brooklyn's probably going to try to match him, especially if it's only 6.3 million. But I think he's, you know, you could see the Lakers go in that more mobile, athletic, big, and and say, hey, like, AD and LeBron still want to play the three and the four, but if we are going to go with a big, we need someone who's mobile, who can switch on to at least wings, if not guards, uh, rim runner, roller, active, athletic, you know, don't go, don't go for the DeAndre Jordan uh, or even the Dwight Howard. Like, you, you need someone who's under 30 and, and can play. And look, those guys, again, seven footers or, or 6'10 guys who are athletic and uh, basically can walk and chew gum, like those guys make money. So you, you are potentially, look, I mean, maybe JaVale McGee's, uh, you know, available to get it. That's someone they target. But uh, I think, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see with the MLE guys. I think it's 3 and D uh, wing. I'm, I'm going to double check if JaVale, I, I forgot if he has a player option or if it's a team option or, or what. Uh, his situation is, but give me one second here. So I wouldn't mind. I mean, with the way he's played, yeah, he signed a one-year, five million dollar deal. So uh, I would not mind Javale either as a backup center or as a placeholder center. I think he could have some value. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? 
Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's get to the next one. Um, this one is from at Lakers all the way with a three instead of the, the Y. I know you already answered this uh, before, but can we get confirmation again? Will Westbrook be traded? So this has been one of the hot topics around Lakers Twitter or around the Lakers universe right now. Uh, I, from what I've heard and, and just reading the tea leaves, it does seem like Russ returning to the Lakers is more likely than it was say a couple weeks ago, say a month ago around that exit interview time. I think that the Lakers are, are in a tough position here where teams know, you know, the Lakers are, are entering negotiations in a bad spot and Expiring contracts aren't as valuable as they used to be. They still have some value, but all these deals are shorter. And you know, unless a team, no, no one's taking on Westbrook to actually take on Westbrook. If you're if you're taking on Westbrook, it's purely a financial cap play. And there might be some teams that are looking to get out of bad contracts, but they have no incentive to help the Lakers. And all it takes is one team. So you, you never know if, if an OKC or a Charlotte or an Indiana is going to bite and going to execute a rust trade. But I think as of now, teams have been looking for picks from the Lakers and the Lakers have been reluctant to give up a first round pick to dump Russ. So there's a bit of a stalemate right now. I think I think it is part. it's partly a bluff to get teams to think that they're going to keep him and, and regain some leverage but i also think that they're actually looking at it like if we have to give up a first round pick for us as of now we don't want to do that so as of now we're going to prepare that if that's what it takes to dump him and no one wants to just take him on then we're going to enter next season with russ and i think that's a uh disaster you know that would be a disastrous outcome i think the lakers have to trade russ i think if they enter next season with russ they are capping their ceiling as a play-in team. I do not see them being a top six team with Russell Westbrook on their team. Uh, now, of course, even if they start training camp with him, they could flip him at any point in the season until the trade deadline. So th there's still that chance that as things get closer to the trade deadline, uh, teams look to shed some money or maybe Russ is playing better and he has a little bit more value. But I think for me, if the Lakers enter the season with Russell Westbrook on their roster, I'm picking them to be a play-in team. And who knows? Maybe even if they do the Russ trade and it isn't a great deal. I think Charlotte or Indiana deal, like that, that's like a win. That's a no-brainer. And if, if you can get a, like a Miles Turner and a Malcolm Brogdon or a Malcolm Brogdon and a Buddy Heald or a Gordon Hayward or a Terry Rozier, like those guys are all rotation you know, starter level guys and they all have their warts, uh, you know, be it efficiency or health or whatever, you know, defense, whatever. But 
all those, I would take any of those guys straight up ahead of Westbrook. And, and because of the financial situation, you, you can't do that straight up. So you got to have multiple guys and maybe some picks and stuff. But if the Lakers can do the Charlotte or Indiana trades, I, I think you, you do those in a heartbeat. But then you start getting into the the Utah hypothetical or the Houston hypothetical or the New York hypothetical, Orlando, OKC. And those ones are less appealing because you are getting less basketball talent back. You're, you're improving your roster. There's an addition by subtraction element to just trading Westbrook, but you are no longer getting a rotation upgrade in terms of, because you have limited, even if the Lakers basically dump Russ, their only means of improving the rotation are the taxpayer MLE and vet minimum contracts. So trading Russ, and of course they could trade THT or Kedrick Nunn, but as of right now, that's looking unlikely and, and those guys don't have great value right now. So I think for the Lakers, like really the Russ deal is your one way to upgrade the roster if you can. And I think if you enter next season, like if they enter next season with Russ, I, I just think it sets you back in your team building process. Uh, it sets you back with your coach because I, I think the coach is put in a tough position of like, you know, are we keeping him? Are we not keeping him? What's the direction of the team? Can I get this guy to come off the bench? Like, I, I just think you're putting a lot of unnecessary pressure and drama at the footstep of your next coach. And uh, so I still am on the side of Westbrook will be traded. I, I would say to me, it's still greater than 50%. Uh, I would still put it somewhere in that 60 to 70% range, but that percentage is coming down and the more time that passes and, and the more this type of stuff comes out, you know, I got to give a shout out to Sam Amick from the athletic who reported earlier uh, on Monday that uh, he had been hearing that uh, the, the, you know, Lakers had been asking coaching candidates, how do you plan on using Russ and, and how would you use him? And uh, so that that's a possibility, but I would still say it's more likely than not he's gone, but that again, that overall kind of, you know, cumulative percentage is, is starting to decrease as time passes. This one is from along the same lines. T money, six, six, eight, five, seven, nine, nine, seven is Westbrook back on the Lakers. If so, do you think he finishes the season with Lakers? I think if he starts training camp at that point, he's probably more likely to finish than not, but I still think there's a chance he gets traded by the trade deadline. So uh, I think I would shift my percentages to maybe like 55, 45. He, he's, there the rest of the way, but I think there's still a chance he could be moved by the trade deadline. Uh, n- next one from at RizRob22, most likely time of Westbrook move before the draft, after July 1st, or after LeBron opt-in decision in August. So Westbrook's deadline to opt-in, I believe is June 29th or 30th. It might be the 30th. So he can't be traded until then. So because of that, I would say early free agency, like that first week or so, uh, would be when the first week of July would be when Russ would the earliest he could realistically be traded. Uh, I think er, the sooner the better for the Lakers. I really don't see a point of dragging it out, especially with free agents. Because let's say let's say you flip Russ and you don't get Malcolm Brogdon or Terry Rozier back, a, a starting level point guard. Now all of a sudden depending on what you get back in the deal, you might pivot to wanting to spend your taxpayer MLE on a point guard. Or if you really want to play the wing game still, uh, wing game, not win game, uh, you still might spend it on a wing, but now you can at least get the best vet minimum point guard option available 
of, hey, do you want to come start on this Lakers team? We got rid of Russ. We have a vacancy at point guard. Uh, you know, maybe Kendrick Nunn is now the starter or or whatnot, or they go back to more of the 2019-20 model with, uh, you know, Wes, uh, you know, Wes Matthews, uh, Danny Green and KCP in the backcourt, uh, or, or what we thought was going to be the starting line in 2020-21 with, with KCP and Wes Matthews, like two defensive-minded 3-and-D backcourt guys. Like the Lakers could go that approach. They could start Kendrick. They could start a vet minimum guy. But I think that position becomes a lot more appealing if Russ isn't there. Otherwise, if I'm a point guard, I'm looking at it like, well, not only am I joining a situation that already has Russ and Kedrick Nunn, but LeBron is, of course, the de facto point guard for the Lakers offensively. So I don't really see where I fit in. And I'm generalizing here. Of course, it depends on on the player and their skill set, like a Patrick Beverly uh, or, or more of a 3 and D point guard would fit great around LeBron and, and Russ and uh, Kendrick Nunn. But if you are someone who needs the ball a little bit more and is more of a traditional point guard, you're looking at that situation like I'm coming in as like the third string guy and really you're almost the fourth string guy. So I I think the Lakers, the sooner the better with the Russ deal, but uh, I, I suspect it would probably be the first couple weeks of July if it ends up happening. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Can the Lakers get Zach Levine? This one is from uh, L.A. Uh, Latigo, Yugoslavo, if I'm reading that right. Uh, can they get him? Technically, yes. I mean, you know, they could get anybody, basically. But the Zach Levine rumors out there, uh, unless the Lakers are trading Anthony Davis, I don't see how they get Zach Levine. I mean, Chicago is not trading for Russell Westbrook. That would just make no sense with the type of team and identity and culture they built. He would fit with the fast breaking part, but he would not fit with the defensive part. Uh, that was ultimately their strength in the first half of the season. And with guys there like Alex Caruso and Lonzo ball and DeMar DeRozan, like I just don't see Russ making any sense for Chicago. So, and you know, Taylor Horton Tucker and, and Kedrick Dunn are not getting it done despite uh, THT's, clutch connection with Zach Levine. So unless the Lakers are giving up Anthony Davis, they are not getting Zach Levine. And I do not see them giving up Anthony Davis for Zach Levine. I do not think it would be wise to give up Anthony Davis for Zach Levine. You could even make the case that last year, Zach Levine was better than Anthony Davis. I would not make that case, but I would entertain that case. That being said, a 6'6 athletic wing who has improved defensively, but is still a bit of a defensive liability versus a 6'11 uh, freak, 
you know, defensive player of the year, caliber defender and AD top 15 guy when healthy. Like I still take AD over Zach Levine any day of the week. Uh, this one is from at Donnie underscore McHenry. What are the chances that Fisdale, Handy and or Penberthy are with the team next season? That's a really good question. I have not heard much on the future staff. All of those guys are currently still with the team. When a head coach is fired, it's technically only the head coach. So as we saw at the Lakers draft workout uh, last week that, or yeah, last week, um, all three of you know those guys were, were there and working out prospects. And you know there was kind of a weird sight because you're like, all these guys were under Frank and now Frank's gone, but they're still here. And But that, that's the case. I would say Phil Handy, who, I, you know, he's someone that to me kind of transcends uh, and, and he's hopped staff to staff and, and is someone that to me has clearly the cosign of LeBron and AD. We know with Fizz, he's got the relationship with LeBron. We know with Penberthy, he's got the relationship with AD. So I could see any of the three being back. I, I would put my money most on Phil Handy. Uh, I just think he's someone that is such a player-friendly coach and, and the players really love and, and respect him that um, I, I could see him sticking around. But that being said, you, you also saw he went uh, on Instagram and was defending Frank and, and was backing up Frank. And uh, I think there, there's also a loyalty aspect there that ultimately we see it. You know, you, you see Nick Nurse replaces Dwayne Casey, Ty Lue replaces Doc. Like there's ultimately no loyalty in the coaching business. But I do wonder if that might, you know, I wonder if the Lakers might just want a, a clean house. And it also depends on the new coach and what he wants with the staff and how much autonomy he has ultimately. But I could see Phil Handy. Be, it's, it's, it's beyond even his relationship with the current Laker players. Just Phil Handy is beloved around the league and respected around the league. So I, I think he's someone that is he, I think it's, it, it, it's an asset to have Phil Handy. It's attractive to have Phil Handy to, I think, free agents, to players around the league. So that might be a relationship the Lakers end up keeping. As for the other ones... I mean, again, Penberthy and AD have the relationship, Fizz and LeBron. So, so may, I mean, maybe all three are back. I would say that's unlikely. I would say it's probably just handy, but maybe Penberthy too. Like, but then Penberthy was kind of the the number, you know, Fizz was the number two to Frank and, and Penberthy was the number three. Like, it's just kind of weird. So I would say handy would be my bet, but we'll, we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, at Kevin uh, Inter... Kev Interstellar, uh, what compilation of moves would you consider the offseason as a home run offseason? Okay, let's do it. One, I would say hiring one of my top five coaches, which I think we'll be getting into a coaching question later. So one of my top five coaches, which right now would be Quinn Snyder, Darvin Ham, Charles Lee, Terry Stotts, and Kenny Atkinson. Uh, let's, let's even throw in Adrian Griffin. So those top six to me... If the Lakers get any one of those six, it's a win. Of course, Nick Nurse, if he's available, you th- I'd throw in a first-round pick for Nick Nurse. I, I think he's he's that great as a coach. So those six or, or Nurse, any of those seven, I, I just keep expanding the list. Get one of those guys. Trade Russell Westbrook ideally to Indiana or Charlotte, but at this point, I would take any Russ trade. Uh, get one of the aforementioned wings that I mentioned with your taxpayer MLE 
and let's say it's the Indiana trade, but it's it's Brogdon and Healed for just for argument. They, they they don't want to give up Turner, so you get Brogdon and Healed, and Healed I, I like more in like a six man role, but Brogdon of course is a starter, and then let's say they sign Otto Porter. So now you you enter next season, maybe with let's say uh, AD LeBron Otto Porter. Austin Reeves and Malcolm Brogdon. That's your starting five with uh, Buddy Heald, Stanley Johnson, Kendrick Nunn, THT, and free agent Big X, and maybe one more wing as kind of your ten to eleven man rotation. Like I like that team a lot more. Uh, you you have improved shooting with. Brogdon and healed. Hopefully some of the young guys take some steps. You're now getting Kendrick Nunn back. Uh, I think you're Otto Porter, uh, another good shooter. Uh, Like overall, I I really like that. And and that's just simple, you know, replacing Russ with, with Brogdon and healed signing Porter, and then adding another rotational free agent or two with the vet minimum and then getting a good coach. Like that to me is that's a home run off season. And I, I think it's, relatively realistic. The hardest thing for sure is going to be trading Russ, but uh, if they can do, I mean, really trading Russ to me is a home runoff season, I guess, but the other stuff I think is, is relatively realistic and, and you know, would, would add to what I would consider a home run. Uh, this one is from LAL Prime. Is there a timeline of when the new head coach will be signed or is this going to be a very long process? Well, Rob Polinka said at his exit interview that he wanted the new head coach in place by the draft, which would be June 23rd. That would give the Lakers at least a week before free agency to roster build and make their free agency plan over that week heading into free agency on June 30th. And of course, anyone they're talking to, I mean, it's they've already done interviews and stuff. So it's going to be even before they hire the the coach at that point they're they've had conversations about system and identity and culture and i'm sure some roster building stuff or or types you know player archetypes and stuff so i think realistically where i'm recording this it's may 19th at night i would i, I would be surprised i think the earliest they'll have a coach is is about 2 weeks from now like end of may uh but i would say the most likely time they will hire a coach is end of May through mid June somewhere let's let's call it you know May 27 28th through like June 14 15 like that to me is is the sweet spot of of when they're probably going to hire someone so uh i guess very long process like technically yeah it'll probably end up being around a two month vacancy from when Frank was fired to when the next coach is hired but it's also a weird coaching market, right? Because there's no, like even, I'm including Quinn Snyder in, in my rankings, but you take Quinn Snyder out and it's like, who's like the elite? Like there's some solid retreads with Terry Stotts and Kenny Atkinson. Like and then it drops to like Steve Clifford and Mark Jackson and Scott Brooks and like, it's just not a great coach. I mean, I was high on Mike Brown and then he signed with the Kings and then it didn't look that great uh, with the Warriors, it, his couple coaching games, uh, the Memphis series. But I think the, the I mean, 
to me, like Darvin Ham, Charles Lee, those are a couple names where those would be first year guys, but they have experience. They, they have good personalities. They're known as players, coaches, uh, but also really good tactical X's and O's guys. So I think those couple names are maybe names that I, I would be happy with, but I think the Lakers are partially taking their time because they're trying to see what happens with Quinn Snyder, what happens with Nick Nurse, what happens with Doc Rivers. Uh, I would stay away from Doc, but I, you know, there seems to be interest in him. And uh, yeah, so I, I think part of it is there's no clear top candidate. And you also have Charlotte who's undergoing their coaching uh, situation. And they're also interviewing similar coaches. They're also interviewing Frank. So we'll, we'll see if, if Frank ends up in Charlotte. But uh, yeah, next one from at J Bates underscore your favorite on who will be the head coach opening night. My favorite right now is Darvin Ham. I think that he checks a lot of the boxes. He's a former Laker. He's a former player who won a championship as both a player and an assistant coach. Won the uh, 2004 championship against the Lakers uh, with the Detroit Pistons. Then won the 2021 title with the the Bucks. He's been a assistant for 12 years, uh, 11, 12 years, and immediately became assist, uh, an assistant. He's someone who is part of that pop bud coaching tree, which I think is a very appealing coaching tree. You look at across the league, basically, if you've been attached to pop or bud, you're always at the top of everybody's coaching list. He's interviewed for a bunch of teams. He's been a runner up for a bunch of teams. Uh, I, I think he's someone that he he's he's a big guy. And, and I think that plays to his advantage in that he, he, he was a tough, hard-nosed role player in his NBA career. And he's someone that that just has that kind of toughness and gritty quality that I think is attractive to teams. Uh, but on top of that, he's someone that has helped be in charge of, of their defense and uh, has helped out on that side of the ball. So, uh, you know, we, we've seen Milwaukee has been really good uh, on that end. He was also there in Atlanta with, with Bud. So I think learning from Bud and, and being a part of that staff and, and being a part of a staff that, um, you know, I, I, you know, coaching alongside Quinn Snyder and Kenny Atkinson and Taylor Jenkins and uh, some of the really good assistants that have come out of there like that. He, he's been a part of all that. Right. And uh, he, he soaked that up. And I think he's someone that's frankly overdue for a coaching job. So I would be right now, I would say Darvin Ham. I think Charles Lee should be in the mix as well. I would say either one of those two. Uh, and, and I would also throw in Terry Stotts as a, a bit of an offensive version of Frank, uh, another retread, but someone who had a lot of success in Portland, uh, someone that you know I, I think was a little bit underrated, especially with the way kind of things ended, and a lot of it was just personnel limitations. Where you know he did, I think he did, and the fact that they made a conference finals is you know you got to give a lot of uh, props to Dame and to CJ, but Terry Stotts, and part of that was the bracket and, and the way things broke and, and sort of fortune and, and luck, but. I think Terry Stotts had an underrated tenure in Portland and is someone that is an elite offensive coach. You need to pair him with a good defensive coordinator. You need the right assistance around him, but he is someone that I think, you know, similar to Frank has some very clear strengths and with the right support system could be very effective. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Uh, let's see a couple more here. From two weeks with pay, how would you rank the head coaching candidates at this point? Is that different from how you think the front office ranks them? So I just wrote about this for The Athletic. If you've not read it, uh, I recommend you do so. But I split it into tiers uh, of the... There's 13 coaches that have been linked to the Lakers, be it rumors, uh, you know, Laker interest, coach interest, or they've actually interviewed for the job. I whittled the list down to 10 because Nick Nurse... Doc Rivers and Jawan Howard all seem very likely to stay in their respective positions. Nick Nurse reaffirmed he loves Toronto. Masai Ujiri came out and said that the Lakers can dream all they want, but they're not getting Nick Nurse. With Doc, Daryl Morey came out and backed him and said he's going to be their coach next year. And with Jawan Howard, his second son is going to be joining Michigan. So now he's going to be coaching both of his sons at Michigan. He signed a contract extension last year. Um, I think it was a five-year deal. So I think it's his alma mater. I think Jawan Howard's staying put. Uh, so eliminate those three names. But getting into it, you have, for me, your tier one is Quinn Snyder by himself. I think Quinn Snyder, though that kind of sheen that was on him where two, three years ago, he was kind of the, the coaching it boy. And you know everyone loved what he was doing with Utah. And, and you know he, he was kind of... I think most people would have called him a top five coach at that point. To me, he's still a top 10 coach. Uh, and this is a guy who was groomed under Mike Krzyzewski, Greg Popovich, Mike Budenholzer. Like those are elite coaches. He led a huge turnaround in Utah. He's also a former Laker assistant. And you know the Jazz have been a machine under him. They've been a top 10 defense six out of eight years, top 10 offense the last three years. They've improved their win percentage in six out of eight years. He's someone that values analytics, three-point shooting, ball movement. He crafted a really good defensive system around Rudy Gobert. I think he could do the same thing uh, around Anthony Davis, but with even more versatility to their system. The one knock is he hasn't gotten past the, sem- the conference semifinals, but uh, he's, he's also someone who's very hands-on, very meticulous, and I think he would have to cater more to LeBron and AD and, and just stars and, and personalities more than he had to in Utah. But to me, he's a no-brainer. Again, a top 10, borderline, maybe even in that like top five to top eight range as a coach. And if the Lakers, you know, if he's fired by Utah, go scoop him up. If he's interested in, in you know, and maybe there's some form of compensation. I don't know if I'd give up a first round pick, but maybe a, a second round pick, something like that to get Quinn Snyder. Uh, I think he's definitely the, the best realistic coaching candidate. After that, tier two, Darvin Ham, Charles Lee, Terry Stotts, in that order. I already spoke on Ham. Uh, I think the, the underrated thing here is he has ties to the franchise. Two-year assistant with the Lakers uh, from 2011 to 2013. Don't underestimate that. Uh, but a, a big part of Giannis's development has worked with Kobe and, and Powell and Steve Nash, Al Horford. Uh, players love him. Charles Lee is a guy who uh, played college and, and played overseas. Uh, doesn't have as much buzz because he didn't play in the NBA, but was a runner up for the jobs in New Orleans and Washington last season. And he was someone who's actually a Wall Street, uh, Wall Street trader. And that has kind of come through in his interviews where he's just a really smart, sharp communicator. Uh, someone that 
believes in the power of positivity, he said. And uh, it sounds like, you know, he, he can really relate to guys at a level that the average coach can't. Um, someone who helped design the Bucks offense, including their ATOs. He's also the youngest candidate, only 37. So I, I think this guy has star potential as a coach. He, he's probably the the highest upside guy on this list. Terry Stotts already talked about him. Then to me, there's a drop to tier three. Kenny Atkinson, who's a really good player development guy. I think that could help some of the Lakers' younger guys take some steps. Uh, he's someone that's unafraid of pushing back. You saw him push back in Brooklyn famously against Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. He didn't want to start DeAndre Jordan over Jared Allen. That is something Frank Vogel and uh, Doc Rivers could learn from. Uh, but Kenny Atkinson, out-of-the-box thinker, I-, I think is someone that spent the last two years with the Clippers and Ty Lue and in Golden State with Steve Kerr. He can learn from them, or you know, he did learn from them, and I think he could apply that in his next role. Adrian Griffin, the longest-tenured assistant on this list, uh, someone who's championship staff in Toronto, part of successful organizations in, in Chicago and OKC, uh, and similar to Ham, was a career journeyman role player who's helped with player development, has been under Scott Skiles, Tom Thibodeau, Billy Donovan, Nick Nurse, very strong defensive mind. Uh, and and I, I, I uh, included this in my story, but uh, an ESPN piece from 2014 called him a, a player-friendly Tom Thibodeau, which I think was something good. Uh, and then Alex Jensen, who's basically Quinn Snyder's protege, uh, one of the most respected assistants for nearly a decade. He's another guy who was uh, a bit of an, you know, uh, an, an attractive upstart kind of coming in as a, uh, you know, mid thirties assistant coach, which can be rare for the NBA. The one thing with him is that he is known to be kind of more laid back and, and, and chill and quiet. And the Lakers want a commanding personality. So I don't know if, if they would go for that. And then to me, tier four, Steve Clifford, tier five, Scott Brooks and Mark Jackson. I'd stay away from all those three. But uh, th- that's my tiered ranking. Last one here uh, from at LOLL uh, and a bunch of underscores. So this is an appropriate way to end the podcast. If Westbrook remains on the roster, will that turn away any potential coaching candidates? Uh, as I said earlier in, the, in this episode, I think potentially. I think there is a chance that if I'm a head coach, I look at it and I'm like, you guys did not really defend Frank Vogel from the whole Russ situation you did not really cut him any slack and you're going to have to cut the new coach some slack because you're going to be signing him to at least a three-year deal, if not four or five years. But I think you're walking into an impossible situation and maybe it's an impossible situation for a year, but the Westbrook situation is just when the guy throughout the whole season and clearly in his exit interview did not show any sign that he realizes he's a player on decline did not show he's willing to do any of the role player things, any of the little things. Doesn't seem like he's willing to come off the bench. So you have this guy who believes he's still a star, expects to start and play starter star level minutes, and yet is completely destructive to your team on both ends. Takes bad shots, has bad turnovers, doesn't move without the ball, can't space the floor, then defensively doesn't try bad at point of the attack, bad at helping, bad at rotating, bad at navigating screens. Like really the only stuff Russ is good at is, uh, you know, occasionally finishing, which even his finishing numbers have declined as playmaking and passing is still good though. That also results in a lot of turnovers and still a solid rebounder though. Even that has declined too. 
and just athletically he's declined. Like I just don't, you know, unless the unless Russ has a realization over the offseason that he needs to dramatically change the way he plays or the Lakers can somehow get him to buy into a bench role, which I, I highly doubt. I, I just don't see the fit, <clears throat> excuse me, with LeBron and AD and Russ. And again, I think it caps them as a playing team. So, it, you know, there's only 30 head coaching jobs. It's really tough to pass them up. And I think even though the Lakers position might not be as coveted as it once was, might not be as, as, uh, you know, as, as there's not the same sheen that there used to be with the Lakers position. It's still the Lakers. It's still LA. And you know, it's like you, you saw even with the Celt, right? Like the Celtics and, and when they struggle, like the Celtics were still going back through the years, the Celtics have always been a coveted job because of Boston and because of the history. And it's the same with the Lakers and the Lakers, you know, LA is the off season capital for the NBA. It's it's L.A. New York, but but even more so L.A. because of the weather. And I, I just think, I you know like it's again it, it's lost some of that that lust, but it, it's still something that it, it's going to be hard for coaches to pass up. So I do think there's a chance that maybe if you're a Quinn Snyder or you're a Nick Nurse and you're in situations where you have autonomy, you have you've had success. And you have stable organizations, although obviously Utah is kind of going through some flux. But I think that's more of a player thing than anything. Uh, why, like, why would you leave, right? And 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 that's maybe where it's a deal breaker. But if you're a Darvin Ham, a Charles Lee, you don't know the next time you're getting a head coaching gig. If you're a Terry Stotts, now if if you miss a couple years in the league, you might not get back in. So I think they're going to have their pick of basically everyone I mentioned, other than Quinn Snyder. But the Quinn Snyder, the Doc Rivers, the Nick Nurse, if those guys are willing to leave their current situations and really push, that I think might depend on Westbrook and if he's available or not. But that's just speculation. That's just me reading the tea leaves. But uh, I've gone on far too long. Thank you guys for listening to this. Uh, If you made it this far, uh, as always, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok at Yovan Buha, J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you have not subscribed to this podcast yet, you can do so at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe, leave a comment, five-star review. And if you have not subscribed to The Athletic yet, you can do so at theathletic.com or by downloading The Athletic app. If you subscribe off of one of my stories, it helps me out. Uh, I'll be back next week to talk about whatever craziness happened in Lakerland. I'm sure there will be something.